Welcome to the Herbal Hour podcast. Today we have Neo Vecchi. He's a musician in Portland and a good friend. His name is Quincy Davis, and he's here today to talk about his new album, to talk about his inspirations, his path of healing, and much more. How are you doing, sir? Hey, good. Thank you for having me, bro. It's a pleasure, man. I've been uh, wanting to have you on the podcast for a while, just listening to your music and especially your most recent album. I found that it's very much more conscious rap. And that's exactly the kind of music that I like where it has a message. And like I was saying before, it's really cool to be able to talk more about the deeper meanings behind the music, because sometimes music is seen as something just superficial. But your music that you make in particular seems to really have this deeper spiritual message. Uh, so can you start off by just introducing yourself, how you came up with your name, Neovechi, your kind of path to music? Okay. <clears throat> yeah. So the, the name Neovechi is actually, this is my first time talking about it ever. And it's, it's basically, it's a, so this album is called Rebel Wise. And uh, maybe there'll be a link for it up. But uh, yeah. So this is a project with myself and Mike Crenshaw, and he's an artist who I came up on the Portland scene, like kind of looking up to, and he's a, he's a he's an OG hip hop artist here in Portland, and he we made the connection back in the day, back in when I was involved in my old lifestyle of um, self destructive type of situation. So I wasn't always rapping this way, you know, like there there was definitely a transformation there was a there was a shift in what music was for me um in my journey and it's been a it's been a healing like you you mentioned before before we started um recording you mentioned the healing aspect of it so like for me creating music has been a very uh, important element of healing and like transforming energy from the past and like uh finding a way to go through that process of like expression and then finding, you know, a greater purpose, I guess you could say, through the music. So it's been like my own personal therapy to a certain extent. And uh, back to my name. So I was Quincy. I mean, Quincy Davis is my real name. So I just was going by that for a long time. And then with this latest project, I I self-produced everything, and I basically felt like I wanted to start all new. I wanted to start with a new, fresh identity and sound uh, after stepping away from music for, like, over two years. Mm -hmm. So everything now is self-produced, and the name Neo Vecchi, uh, Vecchi, it comes from uh, Romanian language, and it means ancient, and so my... Part of my ancestry is Romanian and Hungarian, and uh, so it's like a nod to my ancestry. Um, and then Neo, it could mean new, and then it's actually of African origin from what I, my research. It could be new or gift. So it's like new and ancient. And uh, yeah, that's what I, you know, I feel like part of my mission, so to speak, is to like deliver what I know and uh, like what, what I be a vessel, you know, be a conduit and deliver that 
and uh, in a fresh way, you know what I'm saying, in a new way. Your music does a great job of that, especially yeah. this recent album. So I've listened to some of your uh, older music, and it has to do a lot with uh, political issues, you know, the the government controlling people, kind of social issues like that. And it's uh, conscious rap. But this album's different because uh, it's more, I guess you could say it's more shamanistic in a sense. There's a lot more kind of tribal elements. There's uh, chanting in it. There's different instruments. Uh, and the music videos, uh, especially for the song that I'm going to play uh, here and show people is uh, very rich and filled with uh, symbolism. So I think that idea of your name bringing the old uh, into the new is, is really, really on point. So you definitely had some premonition there with that name. Um, Carl Jung actually said something very interesting. He said, when you bring the ancient into the modern, it is something different. It transforms it. It's not the same thing. So it's, it's progressive in a sense. So when you take an ancient culture, an ancient tradition, and you bring it into modern times and modern context, it's going to be different than it was. But that doesn't mean that it's worse. It just means that it's transformed in a sense. Mm, right. Interesting. Yeah. Because I think that makes me think of how do we reach people in this day and age? You know, like how do we connect with, if I'm here to connect with a lot of people, I don't know. It's up to creator, but if whoever I'm supposed to connect with all over the world, there's a form for making that connection happen, which can, you know, through technology and through the art, that's, that's the form that it can be delivered, so to speak. If I was just sitting by myself, you know, with all the wisdom in the world, not to say I have the wisdom, but I'm just saying it's both, you know, like in this day and age, it's like, finding a way to reach the audience too, I guess, is, is a mm. part of my approach. Mm -hmm. And being able to express those things. And I think there's a, a general thirst and hunger for the ancient traditions, because I think in modern times, we've become so disconnected from our heritages, so disconnected from nature, so disconnected from like a true spirituality, not like one that's like placed on us, that there's this you know, in the last 40, 50 years, there's been this resurgence of interest in different religious traditions and mythology, uh, as uh, Joseph Campbell's work sh uh, showed, and also a lot of movies that are based around these themes end up being very popular, like Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, there's this thirst for this um, ancient heritage that I think people are looking for and missing in, in the modern mundane life. Um, so that the music is definitely a great way to uh, portray that. Mm, right. Yeah, man, that's been my life. I mean, a big part of the transformation of my life has been supported through a tr tradition that um, I was very fortunate to connect with, uh, which is uh, earth-based ceremonies and community that was passed on and uh, I was able to be welcomed in. And like I said, my ancestry is Hungarian, Mongolian, but I was you know, allowed to participate. And so I remember when I sat in my first, you know, what's called a, a Nipi sweat lodge. And when I was there, I was just like, yo, I'm, I'm finally home. Like, it just like hit me. I was just like, I'm home. 
you know, and I can feel it just talking about it now or, you know. So that has been the the ceremony, the traditional and ancient ceremonies passed on have been the place of transformation for me along with nature. And so I guess it's a, it's uh, become a part of my music too, you know. Mm. Yeah, so I'd like to uh, share your uh, music video that you made and uh, I'll just kind of play it and then we can talk about it. And I have a few questions about it, so. Oh, let's listen. And if you're watching the video, enjoy. If you're just listening to the audio, you should be able to hear the song. It's called Chao Shango. Chao, Chao Shango. Awesome. Yeah. What does that uh, What does that mean? Before I start. So Shango is okay. So this woman right here, she's basically a sister of mine. Her name's Shamada. And she would be the one to <laughs> answer all these questions about Shango and the Umbanda religion. It's basically Shango is a spiritual deity for, of the um, uh, of the. Um, oh my God! I, I I need to know exactly what I'm talking about. Is it the yeah the Yoruba religion mm-hmm. and the Umbanda people of West Africa? Uh, so it's a, so Shango is is like a god, so to speak, or a re, or archetype, and he's he's like uh, he's all about thunder and lightning and justice and dance, kind of like Zeus. Yeah, exactly. He's probably prior to Zeus. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. he, you know, the, so it's a real ancient West African tradition deity, Shango, and Kao Shango. I, as I understand, she was telling me it's like. It's kind of like making an announcement or a proclamation or uh, it's a way of honoring Shango. It's like, yo, salute Shango, that type of thing. So she's really deep in this, in these ways, and she's deep in the, um, the South American version of how the tradition, you know, through the... African diaspora slave trade, how it ended up in South America and then manifested in a certain type of religious practice slash ceremony. She was deep into that. She lived in South America. And so she sings these hymns that are like spiritual hymns. And one day we was hanging out at my, uh, we were going to make some music and I threw on this beat, the drums, and she just started singing this, this hook and it just fit perfectly so that's how the song this hook is it some traditional chant or something it kind of struck me as almost sounding like a buddhist chant in some sense yeah so it is a spiritual hymn that would be used in ceremony um as i understand it you know the way she sings it i don't know if she so she receives songs like some some songs are like totally original that she receives and then some are like songs that are used in uh in a ceremonial setting so basically this is one of those songs that's like like shout out to the ancestors type of type of hymn awesome i really uh really like the song i think it has a really good sound and it has a, a great message and it's very fitting for uh an mc master of ceremonies such as yourself to have such a ceremonial song so let's Let's get right into it. Can you uh, see? 
Yeah, I see it. All right, let's do it. And let me know if you can't hear it when I start playing it.
So that was that was awesome, man. I really I really liked the video, and I I was telling you before I really like that kind of uh, samurai ninja theme that you went for in your part. Sorry, this thing is keeps playing. Uh, oh, there we go. It's auto playing the rest of your music. Um, okay, but uh, yeah, I, I like that a lot. Uh, just off the top, um, can you talk a little bit about? what your inspiration was for the song and maybe some of your lyrics and what you were trying to express uh, with it? Yeah, for sure. And real quick, I want to clarify what I said before. Uh, let me just clarify, because I, I, I messed up my words a little bit about Shango, and I want to be clear. So the Yoruba people are from Nigeria. That's the origin of the this religion, which people may also know as the Orishas, and uh, Shango is one of the spirits of the uh, one of the Orishas of the Yoruba religion, and Umbanda is the version of that. It's Umbanda is a Afro-Brazilian religion that blends African traditions with Ro Roman Catholicism, Spiritism, and Indigenous American beliefs. So Umbanda is when it ended up in South America. And in Umbanda ceremonies in Brazil, you greet each Orisha with a formal Yoruban salutation. Kao is the, is the exclamation to honor Shango, the electric warrior, god of thunder, lord of the drum and dance, god of rock. And Shango can be syncretized with Shiva, I guess, like compared with Shiva Nataranja, lord of the cosmic dance. Shango is one of the primary warriors of Yoruban spirituality and is depicted dancing with a double-headed axe in each hand. Mm, so it's kind of uh, like a weather deity, but also a warrior deity and uh, kind of of the earth too. You said it was uh, a rock, rock deity. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, um, just wanted to clarify, like I said, th this is her thing, and she knows she I'm like learning from her, and I'm I'm like learning about all this. But the ways that I'm connected with, I'm not, I've never participated in the Ubanda ceremony, so I'm just I'm just learning. But um, what I was saying in my verse, I think that what inspired me was starting with the lightning, because I knew Shango was about the lightning. So I started with, you know, lightning strikes the point I start to write. And that reminded me of like a, a Wu-Tang line for some reason. I remember it was like, I, it was like, man, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was some type of thing where he's like, when my pen hits the pad, like there's like atomic bomb or something like that. Mm -hmm. It might've been Inspector Deck. So anyways, it was, I, I thought of that and I was like, lightning strikes the point I start to write. Lightning strikes the shadow brought to light. Lightning strikes the people learn to listen. Lightning strike received the transmission. So, you know, it's like shadows brought to light. So it's like, I just believe in general, like we live in a time where the shadows are being brought to the light. Um, that could be compared to what's going on now with COVID and stuff like that. Um, if we're not totally uh, just believing <laughs> the media and the narrative that's presented, you know, we're, we're seeing, you know, like Trump, you know, like things are being brought to the surface that need to be brought to the surface and need to be dealt with. And so um, I believe we're living in this time and 
And then lightning could also be like receiving like wisdom or receiving from creation guidance, you know, it could be translated in different ways. So it's like, are we able to listen to that, you know, uh, greater, something that's greater than everything that we, you know, that we see, but are we able to be receptive to that? Uh, yeah. On like as a guiding principle. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, that does. That does make sense. Uh, lightning to me seems also to be representative of the power of divinity, right? Cause lightning and also the thunder that follows is very kind of uh, powerful, energetic. It's kind of, almost uh, awe-inspiring in the literal sense. Like Mm -hmm. ancient peoples, when they saw lightning were, you know, we think of it as, oh, it's just uh, like a discharge of electricity in the sky, but they probably, you know, really saw it as, oh, like the gods are like showing their power to us. So that must have brought a a very different feeling. So that's kind of what I think of when I think of lightning. And I like the aspect of like the lightning being a metaphor for transmission or almost like the light itself is a, a symbol of wisdom, right? Like enlightenment uh, and uh, becoming enlightened. And th- there's a lot of uh, kind of themes uh, like that going through there. Right. And what comes to mind, I learned uh, from my elder, uh, elder in my life, who's a, le- a ceremonial leader. He shared something with me like, just recently, like uh, maybe a couple months ago, he said that actually lightning, we think it comes from the sky, uh, and maybe a scientist can, you know, double check this, but he says it actually comes from the earth and goes up like this. So it's actually connected with the earth too, you know, and the idea, this idea, like you said, of like power. To me, that uh, that lightning is like pure conviction is like pure you know there's no there's nothing there's no way it can be stopped it's just like energy that is totally powerful you know and like if we're able to operate with that but not from a place of ego you know what I mean like if we're able to be a conduit for creation and manifest that way then there's that's that's like being the most powerful we could possibly be as in it's not my power it's the power that flows through me and i just need to clear out myself and get out of my own way and then the power of creation can flow through and and there's nothing that can you know sort of stop that or it's it's just pure so that's that's what i i love that idea and it's something about a I wish I could remember that you might know this. There's like a symbol in Buddhism. I believe it's Buddhism where it's like, it's, it almost looks like a. Is that the, uh, like, I think it's called the Vajra or something. Yeah. Vajra. That's it. Rod. I was actually going to bring that up because that's like, you know, like a symbol of power. And also obviously Zeus is the bearer of lightning. So this idea of the God being us like, the creator of lightning is, is common across the whole world, even on cultures that didn't speak to each other. Right. Yeah. 
So that Vajra, that, that's something I, I connect with. And I actually put it in a symbol of a, it's a, one of this logo I made where the Vajra is coming down like this and it's a wolf face. But uh, anyways, that's dope, man. It's dope. On the subject of transmission, uh, yeah. with those lyrics, do you find that you kind of, when you're writing uh, your songs, do you kind of just, you know, blurt it all out without thinking too much about it and then kind of edit it? Or are these choices very like particular where you're really trying to think like, how do I make the theme of lightning into words? I want to know a little bit more about your process. Yeah, it's, it's different. Um, the best when it happens, the best way is when it's just I'm inspired and I have a feeling about it and I just feel it flowing through my body, so to speak. And I just like ride that wave as far as I can go of inspiration and of the feeling. And it's a little different with lyricism. Like I come from hip hop lyricism where it's more heady and more like, it's more like, oh, I'm going to write the dopest bar, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm going to write the, the, the illest multiple you ever heard. And then I'm going to like stack this multiple with this. And yeah, like so, Most F and like Lupe Fiasco and uh, Nas and all the kind of classic, more like intellectual rap, I would, I guess I would call it where there's like a lot of deep puns and there's like a message under it. It's not, it doesn't only just sound good, which is obviously important because it is music. Uh, but it has something a little bit more. Yeah. So I come from that that lyricism, uh, that lyricism foundation, mm-hmm. and I'm kind of like moving away from that a little bit um, with my newer music. This album, I would say, is still lyrical, but uh, the newer stuff is more melodic and more mm, musical than lyrical, but... With this this song, Shango, I'll say it's, it was pretty. Uh, you know, I was I was just uh, I was writing some lyrics that um, I just wanted to catch the inspiration. I wanted it to hit. You know, I, I don't know, man. It's different every time. It's hard. It's kind of hard to talk about like what works, what doesn't. It just sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I might go through like three different drafts, and with this one in particular, I. I went, this was like my second version, and then I was like, nah, that's not good enough, and I did something different, and then my sister Summer, she was like, it's cool, but I like the other one better, so I went back to this version, so yeah, that I had already written a whole different intro to it. Mm. Yeah, I can totally relate. Um Back in the day, more when I was like in high school and college, I used to, you know, write a little bit of rhymes and record and stuff. And I remember that it's kind of like what you were saying, where it was a thing of inspiration. Like sometimes it would be the right beat and I would have that feeling and I would like think of one line and that line would just create like a whole rap because it would just it was just such a good line that everything that follows it kind of stems out from it. So seems like for for this song, it was like that idea of lightning and then everything kind of expanded out like uh the way I guess the uh, mind works typically of uh, creative people. Um, and I, I'm sure definitely for me, but probably for yourself as well, being that you are more of an artistic type of person, it's always like looking for associations. So that, that comes out well in, in rhymes. Cause it's like, what do you associate with this and that and this? And then 
what's fascinating about those kind of rhymes is after they come out, especially if they're in a moment of inspiration, what I've noticed is that I can find deeper meanings than I even meant. Cause like when it comes out, I just, it's just coming out. But when you look back at it, you're like, wow, that's actually really deep. Like I didn't even think of that consciously, but there was like a meaning that I didn't even understand as I was writing. So I think that's definitely the most beautiful kind of music when you, you almost like learn from your, what comes out of you in a sense. Yeah, no doubt. And that happens sometimes with freestyling. <laughs> like when I first started, I started freestyling before I was really writing lyrics. And yeah, that's that's the most exciting for me is like hanging out with my friends and freestyling. And when we're just in that moment of pure, like in a moment, and then it's just flowing through that... <laughs> that's kind of like also the lightning too. It's like, uh, it's just that, that expression is dope because like you said, it's not even me thinking, it's just flowing through. And so whatever that source is, you know, is like the source of creativity for all artists uh, that's tapping into that and it's pure expression, you know, as best we can. <laughs> I totally feel that. I think freestyling is it's so spontaneous that it's way... It's because in a way, when you're writing music, it is kind of like freestyling, but it's just like slower. It's more methodical. But when you're freestyling, you're not, especially if you're making really intricate lines, like you can't really think about what you're saying. You kind of have to just go. And obviously the practice that you get in writing music helps with that. But uh, we definitely got to hang out sometime in freestyle. I haven't in a while, but that was definitely my favorite aspect of, um, of, of rap in general is and I, I even loved like looking up online, like my favorite uh, lyrical rappers and how they would freestyle and just being like blown away. Sometimes I felt like some of their freestyles were even better than their music, like that they should have just freestyled on the whole album. It would have been awesome because it yeah. like has like a natural feeling to it. Whereas sometimes when you try to, you know, like edit things too much and like mix around with things like you were saying where you made an edit, you actually went back. I felt like that was usually the case. The first line was usually the best. You might like make little tweaks, but it comes out in like a holistic fashion. It doesn't, you know, you don't build it piece by piece. Um, mm -hmm. So can you talk a yeah. little bit more about the other uh, lyrics within that song? Man, okay. Um, let me pull it up real quick. If you can just give me a second here. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Please. Yeah, I really, uh, I really actually did like this album. I listened through it uh, quite a few times in my car and I found that um, not only did it satisfy that kind of lyricism, because I like to like, when I listen to rap, I really like to listen to the rhyme schemes and the words that are chosen, because I find that's one of the, my favorite parts of music, but it also like, um, it also just like sounded good. And I think that's the best kind of music when it comes to rap, in my opinion, is stuff like Kendrick Lamar, where it sounds like, you know, it's like a banger song and like you go into the club and listen to it. But when you actually listen to the lyrics, there's like these deep themes and inspirational things in it. But somebody who isn't even interested in that kind of stuff can still be like, oh, like, I love that song. Like, they don't even know the words, but they just like, you know, how it sounds. So I think if you can bring the two together, that's what really makes great rap is like appealing in a musical sense 
and then appealing also from like a lyrical sense for people who like that stuff. Bet. Yeah, that's what we're going for with this album. That was part of the inspiration was to make tracks that would bang, you know, could even be in a, a action movie or something like that. And yeah, and just modern, but also come through with the lyricism. It was like I was I was comparing it to be like Wu-Tang and Major Lazer. Mm. You ever heard of Major Lazer? No, I haven't heard of Major Lazer. Okay, they, yeah, they're more like pop uh electronic but they make some bangers so it's like modern and then the wu-tang lyricism but uh okay so getting back to the meaning of the lyrics if you wanted to just maybe talk about one or two parts in it for sure so uh i say indigo so i say indigos and old souls holding solutions beyond what we don't know blaze trails where they don't go Walk with the guidance, I thought I was solo. Now the ancestors speak to me in 428 hertz frequency. Transmit from the ancient place, I'm making space for wisdom that's tailor-made. Fire. 428 hertz, what's the significance of that? Um, that's the love frequency, I believe. Uh, for those who know about all that stuff. Are you, are you familiar? You heard of the love frequency? Yeah, I have heard, I have heard of that stuff like... I remember looking up different tunings for guitars even that are supposed to be more like harmonious, like 444 hertz, or they say 432 is like the kind of classical uh, where you would put the C in, in most music. So yeah, I'm, I'm aware of that stuff. Uh, like uh, cymatics or chimatics, depending on how you uh, pronounce it, kind of the study of how sound affects matter and affects the minds. Definitely into it, yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. So I see here it's 528 hertz is the love frequency. So I don't remember if I said 428 or 500, but <laughs> hey, there must be some meaning behind it now that I... <laughs> I have to tune my guitar to that and see what's up. I actually <laughs> found when I, when, I, like when I did mess around with the uh, frequency tunings, uh, my guitar, like especially 444, I really like the sound of it much better. Like it just had like a lot, like a brighter, more melodic sound. 432 oh. was like kind of more like melancholic. Um, oh. But 440, I would like, I started not liking it because that's like the traditional oh. standard tuning. And, right. you know, there's people who say that, oh, well, the tuning was made like to, I don't know, to, don't know, to control people. Not, yeah. To control people, to not like allow them to get the full expression of music. Um, who knows? Yeah. All right, so this is interesting. I just looked up 428 frequency is, according to some people, success and abundance frequency. Wealth and health. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great one. I mean, on an album. I thought, I thought it was the love, love frequency, frequency, but okay. <laughs> Freud. Hey. <laughs> Calling in that, you know. I thought, I thought it, was, it, was it was love. love. No. no. We, we got, got the money. money yeah, it's about money. <laughs> it's, that's the, mon the money frequency. <laughs> okay. Hey. It's, it's going good so far, actually. After this out, after this song dropped, you know, some money has been coming in, so that makes sense. <laughs> no, nah, but um, let me let me also say, uh, I was gonna talk a little bit more about that section, if we got time for that. Yeah, sure, please. Okay, cool. So, indigos and the old souls holding solutions beyond what we don't know. I'm sure you're. Your listeners maybe you know they're already tuned into a lot of this stuff, um, so probably would know. 
indigos and the old souls holding solutions. So to me, it's like the times have changed that we're living in. The, the younger generation of what people refer to as indigos or, or old souls who incarnated here, they're the ones who have vision and imagination and gifts that can create solutions that are beyond what is on the table now. Like, you know, Einstein said, you can't change a problem with the same consciousness that created the problem, right? So that's where we're at right now. All the politicians, everyone at the United Nations, all that stuff on the table is not gonna work like because it's of the same consciousness. So that's why you know I say they're, they're holding solutions beyond what we don't know, we don't know. So it's like, I'm not interested, I'm less interested in what we already know and I'm more interested in what we don't know. And that's the mystery of life. Yeah, and there's there's this saying that um, that there's things that we know and there's things that we don't know. And there's even things that we don't know that we don't know. So there's things that are so beyond our scope that we don't even know that there are things that can be known. Or, um, for example, something... You know, if somebody shows you like an algebra equation or something and like, you know that you don't know, you know that you could know it because you can study it. But things that you don't know that you don't know are just completely out of your consciousness. So they're literally like blind spots. It's like where you don't even you're not even aware that you don't have that knowledge there. You're not you might even think you're an expert in that subject. Right. Yeah. There's some quote that reminds me of some quote that's something like. Ignorance is not the illusion. It's like something about the the real definition of ignorance is thinking that you know something rather than, like you said, (laughs) not being aware of what you don't know. Right. You know, so Socrates was big about that, uh, you know, bringing up the only thing I know that is that I know nothing. This kind of very almost nihilistic uh, attitude towards knowledge as like very hard to really attain. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I find that that's, that tends to be true with what could be called maybe the path of meaning or the spiritual path. I think that the more that you go down it, the more you realize that you don't know, like the more you realize, like, I actually don't know what my mind is. I actually don't know where my emotions come from. I thought, you know, they came from here, but I don't know that. I thought I knew this person, but I actually don't really know them. Like you come up with a lot more don't knows. You come up with a lot more questions than you do with answers a lot of times. Mm, Yeah. And to me that this speaks to indigenous wisdom from my understanding in general, there's, there's a respect for creation. Mm. And that in that respect is, being aware like my mind is a, is only one aspect of this a lot more going on you know what i'm saying there's so much going on and it's something about like living in the present moment you know what i mean like when we're talking about what we know or knowledge and certain intellectual ideas a lot of times it's like it's not just being present you know, and, and just like being totally present to me is like being a real, real human being, you know, like is fully present and fully operating on 
all these different levels of consciousness with the understanding that like there's like a humility in there too. So working with creation is like right on the edge, you know what I'm saying? There's you can't even really think about it. <laughs> it's like it's just here in the present moment. And I think that the the wisest people of you know the world are like operating in the present moment with this relationship. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if that's making sense. <laughs> to me, what I'm understanding is it has to do with something about the acceptance of this reality as it is in the moment without like projecting our beliefs and our thoughts on it. So uh -huh. like seeing things as they are, not as we think they are, like really uh, questioning our beliefs and our perceptions of things and really just trying to see them for as they are. Because uh, a lot of times, as you were saying with the ignorance quote, it's like ignorance is when you think you know what something is, but like you don't. Like, for example, when you um, uh, when you judge somebody based on like some very little information and it's like just taken as like a for granted, like that person's like that and et cetera. Um, but then when you really get to know them, you realize, oh, wow, I was like totally wrong. Like I couldn't have been more wrong about that person, whether for positive or, or negative. But it's because we... Um, aren't open to the possibility a lot of times that our ideas are wrong, that we fall into a lot of traps. And I think it's very painful to, to accept that we don't know certain things like, because this culture is very much, especially on social media of like, uh, you know, portray that everything's amazing, good. Like we know everything. Uh, but you know, people, uh, aren't less likely to admit that they don't know what's right for them, that they don't actually know the answer to political issues that they might argue about. And when they really sit down and, and think about it, like, Hey, I actually don't know what's going on. Um, like even with this whole situation with COVID and the quarantine and everything, uh, like every day it passes, the less I feel like I know about what's going on in a sense from like the political angle, from, the what's the effect on humanity level whereas in the beginning i kind of felt like i knew where it was going but now i'm a little bit more like i don't i don't know anything really hmm. <laughs> i don't want to say i don't want to say my opinions on that or we'll get deplatformed <laughs> we might get canceled <laughs> yeah well what what are what are your what are your m most let's say most the things you think are most true about what's going on now, because obviously people have a very big divergence of opinion. Like, you know, on, on, on Facebook, I made that post where I was like comparing the statistics of heart disease and COVID and maybe like suggesting that there was a different solution than quarantine, especially when like the WHO was already saying that quarantine is not a good option. But uh, like, I got like straight up, like, you know, flamed for it. So mm. obviously the ability to share differing opinions I think is important. So what do you think is going on in the realist sense? And if we're about to get deplatformed, I'll just remove this segment. I'll self-censor. Just kidding. I'll never do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I just, I think of it like this. Okay. When you look at history, uh, I, sorry, I sound like I'm talking to a stupid person. I'm like, when you look at history, <laughs> when you open a history book, it's all lies. Okay. <laughs> well, okay, this this is what I think of. So those 
powers that be, so to speak, the uh, control systems in place, you know, throughout history, um, there's been different forms for continuing that control. And um, this system and this control system, this power structure in place now um, is a manifestation of what has been here on the earth for thousands of years, and it's a new expression of that. Um, there hasn't been the healing ceremonies that are needed to transform all the trauma energy, you know, that th through all, all that happened with colonization of native people here on the Turtle Island, here on, in North America, before that, colonization of the Europeans, before that, who knows, someone was colonized, some shit went down where people were traumatized to the point where they needed to either accept this way of being, of thinking, the colonizer consciousness, or they get killed, you know, and their family gets killed and people were raped and pillaged, your villages were pillaged and all this horrible stuff happened. That's all uh, ancestral trauma in all of our lineages. And uh, there's never really, and so also the powers, power structure has just changed, but there's still, there has always been a ruling class, basically. I mean, we just look at history. I mean, there's been a ruling class. There was kings and all that, and there's still kings and queens and Queen Elizabeth in them. They still, there's still so-called royalty that exists. And these, this power structure is in place now. There hasn't been the healing. So how is it going to manifest? It's not like, I guess, People like to believe that there's some type of, oh, no, we're, it's all been progress. Like, we've made progress. And look, you know, look at the president, you know, Obama, there's progress. And then Trump, and then now Biden, like, oh, we're in, heading in a good direction. Well, let's see the direction they want to head. You know, like, they, both presidents, Trump and Biden, are down for Operation Warp Speed, right, which is to manufacture 300 million vaccines, doses by January. Uh, you know, I have listened to a lot of research about, you know, basically w how it could be set up to where people, it's, it's not mandatory technically, but if you want to participate in this system, then you will need to get a vaccine and stuff like that. So, I mean, we could go in many different places with this, but I'll just say it's a continuation of control through this new form, which is supposed to be about health, right? They claim that they're doing all this for our health. First off, since when has any of them cared about our health, like the masses' health? P please enlighten me because that's never happened. It's always <laughs> been about control, right? And this, this, if you look at the head of the vaccine, um, see, I wish I had all the names here so I could like be on point. But if you're really interested in this subject, I suggest your listeners check out Whitney Webb and anything that she does talking about the subject. You can find it on um, maybe not YouTube now because there's major censorship of anyone who says anything critical about COVID. They're censored. And, you know, there's... There's a connection between Google and Silicon Valley and the vaccines and the military, and it's real deep. But 
Whitney Webb would be the one to talk about that. And last thing I'll say is, uh, so the head of the vaccine, I forget his name, that guy, he's all about basically finding ways to, con to I shouldn't say control. He's like, it's the merging of health and technology, mm. right? And then it's also about mining data of human beings because they want to like, they see China as an example of a control, you know, a controlled state setup. But it's even deeper if they can mine data via implantable chips, such as Profusa, which is what the second in charge of, the second guy in charge of the uh, Operation Warp Speed, he's a guy who worked for DARPA. His name is Matt, he Matt Hepburn, and he worked for da DARPA, which, are you familiar with DARPA? The is that uh, related to certain, uh, like, or is that, uh, maybe I'm thinking of HARP? Um, uh, yes, HARP is, was one of the projects of DARPA. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So DARPA is basically, it's defense, national security. It's a, it's a part of the Pentagon, the military, where they're like developing the most advanced technology. It's like advanced technology with military. So he, this guy, Matt Hepburn, has, he led the project on profuse implantable chips. He's the number two in charge of Operation Warp Speed. And the Profusa implantable chips are set to be ready to go in January, just in time for the, uh, the vaccines. So, um, you know, just, just I encourage people to check out, do their own research, you know, um, Whitney Webb. And I'll say, last thing, real quick, I believe that it's very simple what is going on, is they want to, the forces at play, they want to take away, they want to minimize spirit. Like, if you think about oxygen, oxygen is the breath of life. Mm -hmm. um, in some cultures, the same word for, for breath is spirit. Mm -hmm. So these, the, the spirit is what is an expression of the human being. The human being, the being is the spirit. So in order for us to not be connected with the human being, which is both the spirit and the human, they, you know, it's just you've got to take away the spirit. And so you take one of the ways you do that is you minimize the oxygen, you know, um, obviously not going outside, fresh air, the masks, you're just breathing in your own carbon dioxide, obviously being connected through the technology rather than living with in community, like living in relationship with other human beings. That's a way of, that's essential to being a human being. It's like we're, we're meant to live with each other and be together in community and family, you know? So basically they, those powers that, there's forces that want to take away the spirit, basically. And that's what I see is what's going on in different manifestations. And I hope people don't think I'm crazy now, but 
It's all good if you do. Call me crazy. Such a polarized issue that either people will think you're crazy or people will think like you're so on point for even questioning it. And that's kind of been the response I've gotten. So there's there's so much to say about what you said. For First of all, I just want to bring up the point that although there may be some good intentions of, uh, you know, keeping people safe with masks and different uh, strategies, it's always a really fine line uh, throughout history of, you know, liberties versus safety. Like how much should you be able to control people's actions if maybe it leads to safety? And what we've seen in history is that when you, you know, throw away all your freedoms and rights for safety, you get neither, right? That's the famous quote. Um, And it's important to know that, again, throughout history, the political powers that uh, are very influential, they have tons of money, tons of influence, they want to keep their power, maintain it, and increase it. The state wants to naturally increase its power, and it often will do it under the guise of something good. So I'm not saying that this necessarily is a case of that, but what I'm saying is that one should always keep that in mind of, you know, is this really what's best for me? Or is this, is there some ulterior motive to this? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a super important thing to consider, especially when, you know, we're talking about man, uh, probably mandatory vaccines. Maybe they won't be, maybe they will be, as you say, where it's, you won't be able to go into public or a public spaces without proof that you got the vaccine or something, which is effectively mm-hmm. mandatory, right? Cause what are you just not gonna live in society anymore? That's like a right. false choice. Right, and they're setting up passports. They're setting it up so you have to have a scan to travel, to fly anywhere, to be able to scan to say that you have the vaccine. So you might, we, I may not be able to travel in the future like fly, but fuck yeah. it, I'll drive. Yeah, and so, to be fair to the issue. So in support of that, that, you know, decreases the spread of COVID, maybe that'll lead to less deaths, but you always have to think, well, how can this be misused? Because that's like, I mean, does anybody remember George Bush? (laughs) Does anybody remember, um, what was that called? The Patriot Act. So uh, 9-11 occurred, uh, a whole bunch of stuff ended up coming out that Saudi Arabia was involved in it and we were like close partners with them. So there's a lot of weird stuff that came out about that, but not even going to get into that. The Patriot Act, in response to this mass crisis, uh, increased the power of the government uh, to spy on its citizens without any like recourse of justice, without any warrants, all this. And then we saw what happened with uh, everything that Snowden brought out with how deep this uh surveillance was actually going and how how it was being used and how our data was being stored and mined and whatever. So this is my point. Crisis happens, causes a lot of fear, there's a response, but sometimes that response, uh, it has other motives. Like it's not only just to protect the people, sometimes it's also to, you know, increase the powers of the state, which are naturally always moving towards a kind of totalitarian, because, you know, that's the thing with power is um, when you get a sense of power, you always want more and you'll go to no lengths. The history of the world is people trying to conquer the whole earth at once. That's like the dream of the tyrant is to be able to 
like, you know, create one world to create like one government that's ruled by them because that's ultimate power. Essentially, mm-hmm. tying it together with what you were saying about the spiritual aspect, I think it's a misplaced attempt to find unity maybe with divinity by becoming like a god in some sense because if you have control over all people you're kind of like a god in some way and that's like filling the void of lack of actual true connection with divinity which is really based upon not like trying to control and force people to do things but like really respecting the sovereign uh, sovereignty of individuals allowing their free speech allowing their free choice and all that and what i see with this situation is a lot of those things are under attack and there's you know there's arguments that it's it's for the best and it, it protects life and those are those are obviously very valid but one has to always keep in mind that those kind of things can be used uh negatively and the consequences could last way beyond this and affect other parts of life um there's a lot going on and what troubles me the most out of everything is that somehow something that's so you know tied into our everyday life and our choices and everything is becoming a topic that you can't debate it's like a topic that's like people are afraid to talk about they're afraid to even post on social media what they what they really think is going on just because they'll get attacked by uh, by people who have a certain narrative belief and everything is all mixed up and i think the biggest issue with it all is the lack of communication. So that's even why I brought it up in the subject is I don't like have the answers. Um, and I don't know if anyone does, if anyone knows really like what's going on, but I think it's important to see, like, see it from like a outside perspective. Like, yeah, we need to protect people. Yeah. We need like to make sure people are healthy and safe, but like, we also have to think about some of the other implications of some of these things that we're doing. Like, what's the effect of quarantine on people's mental health? What's the effect of quarantine on the, on the economy? What's, um, you know, what's the long-term impact? Is it even a good strategy? I mean, I don't have the answer to that. Um, and then mm. when you start kind of moving in and uh, making this idea that vaccines will save us all, it's just like, it's like one step in the door of making mandatory uh, health decisions. Like, there's a fundamentally moral issue of like forcing medical interventions on people um, where there's a good argument for it where it's okay. Well, if we have to almost protect people from themselves, because if they don't want to get the vaccine that they're endangering everyone, or if they don't want to wear the mask, they're endangering everyone. But that's like mm-hmm. a really dangerous kind of slippery slope to get on. Right. Cause then it's like, Oh, well, if they say anything against it, they should be silenced because they're endangering everyone. And now you start like getting into what's happening with social media and YouTube and all that stuff where they're, um, you know, getting really political. Like Facebook is getting very political. It's talking about like the elections on the main page. It's, you know, I made a post recently on Facebook and somebody commented like a picture of Facebook recommending to get a flu shot. And it's like, like when is Facebook a part of like politics and the news? You know, when did this happen? It seems yep. like it happened in the last half a year. I don't remember anything like that before. And it's, it's worrying. And that's part of the main shifts that are taking place right now is the marriage of Silicon Valley with the military, the slash CIA, mm-hmm. um, with the health, you know, the idea of 
this is the health and this is the science. So you need to listen to that and don't question anything else, a.k.a. the authority. Don't use anything such as common sense. Don't use anything such as feeling into my own body about if I'm healthy or this. No, you may be carrying, the idea is, the narrative is, you may be carrying an invisible, deadly virus with absolutely no symptoms that we are going to determine by you taking this PCR test from the guy who created the PCR test said you shouldn't even use these to treat to test for a virus. Are you familiar with the, this guy? I've heard uh, okay. a little bit of uh, some of the controversy around like the efficacy of the testing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's basically like the it comes down to how many cycles. If you go past like 34 cycles of the test, like how deep you test for it tests for genetic material, right? Mm -hmm. So if you go past 34 cycles, it'll pretty much, pretty much everyone has some type of genetic, genetic material and it can be, it can be positive, right? Like mm. it really, anyone can be tested as positive, the farther, the deeper they test, you know, the, 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 the more number of cycles. I know Whitney Webb, she can explain this better, but the idea here is that if they can control this, the amount of positive cases, with no symptoms, with no, with no nothing, it's just an invisible, you know, this idea of a virus. If they can control that, they can just make it rise and rise, and then what? What can they justify? Right. Anything. I mean, so much has been justified already. Um, you know, I remember in the beginning, it was like, you know, quarantine is going to be for a week, two weeks, a month, and we're now what? I don't even know, like six plus months. I forget even the number. I kind of stopped counting. Um, without really any, without any like really deep public decision making and and things like that, and this is an issue that's global, right? It's not even just with the United States. Like this is something that affects the whole world, and it it poses this big question of how do we react to something like this, and what is the best reaction for long term uh, people, not just. Uh, not just looking at their health, but looking at just their, you know, rights to be a human, rights to congregate, rights mm. to speak. These kind of things are starting to kind of become in the way of that preventative uh, of COVID spread aspect. Mm. So with all this yeah. said, can I say something real, real quick? Yes, please go for it. <laughs> real quick. I, I just, I'm sorry. I just feel like I want to share because you asked the question and to me, it's like one I encourage people to do their own research. Like, don't, okay, if it's a mainstream narrative, if it's on Facebook, then that's, that's one perspective. Do your own research on maybe, maybe listen to those who have been banned from YouTube and have been banned from Facebook because there is a ban on anyone who uh, says anything controversial on this subject. Like, last I checked, if you looked at history, um, the books that were banned were the ones that were telling the truth. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Banned books list. Those are the ones yeah. to read for sure. And now, and now they're like classics, right? So let's see what's going on out. So as far as I'm concerned, if someone's banned, they might be telling the truth, you know, like right. from those powers that don't want, you know, don't want you to think right. for yourself. I'm not saying right. I'm right or whatever. I'm just saying if you're just going to list, they just want everyone to be in fear, right? And so the media is all just designed for people to be operating out of fear. If, you're, if we're operating out of fear, 
then we're going to manifest their reality, you know what I'm saying, because they're operating out of fear. So, man, like, maybe watch a comedy or something, like, tell some jokes, and then, like, lighten the mood a little bit, and then go do some research on something else. Just have fun with it. Like, see what else is out there, you know, like, and that was my suggestion. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that approach. And you make a good point. I think for us to really decide what's true for ourselves, uh, we need to have all the information. So this idea of like, you know, just blocking misinformation, it's like, who decides what is misinformation? That's such a fine line. Um, And, you know, history, the USSR, Nazi party with their propaganda, they made very effective use of censorship to become a force that couldn't even be stopped. So we need to always be careful when we uh, when we say that person shouldn't be allowed to speak their opinion because they're wrong. It's like, even if they are wrong, good. Let people hear them and decide for themselves. Uh, challenge them publicly. If, if you think they're wrong, say like, this is why you're wrong, blah, 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 blah. And then I think yeah. when it's like that and it's not an emotional argument, people can decide for themselves. Well, actually this guy makes the better point. This guy seems like he doesn't know what he's talking about. So maybe that's not true. Um, so yeah, I, I highly... Yeah, I highly uh, agree with what you said of, you know, do your own research, think for yourself, don't, uh, don't think that everything people say is the truth, because it's, it's hard to know the truth, um, especially with such a situation like this, where there's so much going on. So what I wanted to ask is, and you kind of alluded to it a little bit, we've been talking about some of what the issues are. What are the solutions? Like what, what can people do besides just researching more that you think would be helpful um, for not only this, but really just reconnecting with spirit and, and, and being a sovereign individual in a sense. Hmm. Um, so your question it's are you asking like related to COVID or just more in general or, or both? Both related to COVID and kind of beyond. Hmm. Well, let me just start with, what comes to mind for COVID. Um, like I said, thinking, you know, going through a process of looking within yourself and like beginning to be aware, how much am I on the social media? How much am I receiving information through the smartphone and operating off of that? You know, like how much am I just can I set that down? Can I go in nature and breathe and breathe in the air and ask myself, like, how do I feel right now? And, you know, how do I, what do, you know, what does my intuition say about certain things? You know, whatever it may be. Um, just, just beginning to access that intuition within ourselves. Um, common sense, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and then from that place, that's your own personal connection and your own personal wisdom. You know what I'm saying? I can't tell you what is right for you because for everyone, they have that ability to access, you know, um, access a communication um, that can be beneficial to you and to your family and to really everyone all of creation like you know and that's maybe part of a healing journey 
But uh, yeah, I I would say just remembering that that's there, you know, is is a good is a good thing related to all this wild stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And again, not operating out of fear. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really important point on this is to attack the argument, but not the person when you disagree with somebody. So if like, maybe you guys are listening to this and you're like, oh, I don't agree with what they said. Like, instead of thinking like they're bad people or they're crazy, just think, oh, this is wrong because of this, that, and this. Because I think that's that's the way forward with all of this is that everyone speaks openly, people who have a lot of research, people who maybe just have an opinion, but everyone has that right to say what they kind of believe. And to not argue from like an emotional stance of like, how dare you, like people have died and all this, but more in a, like, that's true. But in a, you know, discussing it, because I don't think there's any way forward with any of this, unless people can have, you know, level headed discussions about it. And people can really decide like, you know, removing all these opinions and removing all these personal beliefs, like what is really best for everyone? Uh, or like, maybe it's hard to say what is best for everyone. What is best for like this city? What's best for this state? Cause obviously we function not only on a federal level, we function on a state by state level, which I think is one of the beauties of uh, the United States. Uh, Measure 109 just passed making uh, psilocybin therapy legal. So in Oregon, showing that it really is possible to make deep change on a state level on our local level. So I think it's important to ask what, well, you know, what's the best thing for the community and, and those kind of things, rather than acting rashly out of out of fear, which is what has kind of happened uh, throughout mm-hmm. the world. Yeah, basically the media in general is master, they're masters at emotionally triggering people, uh, triggering people to emotionally react. And I won't get too deep into this, but my understanding is that Facebook, so first... <laughs> Um, I said I'm not going to get too deep into it, but we're getting deep on this episode. I'm reminded that the internet, the internet, I found out was created by DARPA, and was created as a military weapon to begin with. The internet, in general, was created by DARPA. So, what it's evolved into now is this idea of AI algorithms and Facebook, for example. What can happen is data can be collected on every single individual and be fed through a, a AI algorithm so that what is shown to people on Facebook is exactly what can get them to emotionally react one way or the other. So they'll show, they'll show you what you want to see and then they'll show you the exact opposite as a way of like re- getting, getting, mm-hmm, getting a, an emotional reaction which is ultimately based in trauma, like I said. This, we need the healing. So really, it's a, the healing is the solution. The healing ceremonies is the solution. But uh, the, the, the technology and all that stuff is... So basically, a lot of these people who are like throwing around arguments and stuff, they're really just in a place of... Uh, it's kind of like fight or flight, you know, like mm-hmm. rather than coherent thought and like really operating from their own like inner authority and inner <laughs> truth so you know v- being able for me uh g- getting past addiction to 
television, you know, television, all this stuff, uh, drugs, and different forms of addiction. You know, I think we need to address the technology addiction. I need to also, like, I want to reduce my screen time by 90%, you know, so I think that's another solution. But uh, ultimately, like I said, the, the healing is where we need to go with this. And that probably is a whole nother, <laughs> whole nother conversation. Mm-hmm. Can, can I use the restroom real quick? Are yeah, we able sure. to pause this? Uh, I'll just keep I'll talking just keep while you go. Talking. Okay, my bad. Yeah, no problem. I'll go, yeah. on, uh, I'll go on a monologue. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I hope you guys have been uh, enjoying the episode so far. This is uh, Quincy Davis, Neo Vecchi. Uh, definitely check out his uh, album, Rebel Wise. Very good musically and talks about a lot of deeper issues and um yeah so thank you guys so much if you listen to this podcast the really goal of this episode has been to talk about the more meaningful aspects of music uh as in last week's episode we had an artist on i've been kind of trying to expand out and talk about the different elements of healing like art and music and things that we don't traditionally Uh, think of as healing per se, but that they are incredibly therapeutic and if used in the right way. So the art was an expression of the subconscious mind in in last episode, where it could be a healing, a transformational experience to express yourself through artwork. Uh, And that's actually a, a classic therapy in the Jungian tradition is having patients with anxiety, depression, other mental issues, really just paint and draw out their issues, paint and draw their dreams. And this episode in particular is kind of talking about the expressive aspect of music and also how it could be transformative and kind of express a message. So um, Quincy's back. So that's the end of my monologue. (laughs) Yeah. um, Okay. So let's, let's kind of pivot here. Um, I think we, we talked a good deal on this. And I think the main, to summarize everything is, you know, think for yourself, treat people kindly, find your own connection with spirit. Don't get caught up in the hype would be like a mantra. It's not get caught up in all the hype because whether or not it's true, living in a state of fear is very harmful, whether or not it's true, it's not going to help. Uh, so mm. we can kind of end it off uh, there. So I wanted to talk a little bit more about the warrior's journey. So me and me and Quincy, we met at Matalao, uh martial arts place doing Muay Thai. And I know uh, Quincy did boxing for quite a while. And I was originally drawn to martial arts from this idea of there being a warrior's path, that archetype of, you know, becoming the best person, the best man that I can be, uh, mm-hmm. overcoming these, er, uh, these negative aspects and shadow aspects like violence, transforming them into, you know, into actually protecting people, helping people. So how did you get into the kind of martial arts sphere and what's your view of martial arts in general? Yeah. <clears throat> well, I got in, I got into boxing first. Um, I was trying to find a way out of the lifestyle I was involved in, which was, I was, I, I had been involved in drugs, uh, drug selling and just, negative lifestyle. I'd gone downhill and I was, I'd hit rock bottom and I was making my way out of that. Um, and I, yeah, I moved into this place on 82nd, 
um, on 82nd, there's this Grand Avenue boxing gym. And I was, I was basically like, realized that I needed outlets, something alternative to what I was doing before, which was partying and everything that I was involved in. So there was some part of me that I remember I, I went by this place and it was just, just kind of called for me to go in there. And it was like super old school boxing gym like dirty and it was just like old school OG trainer type of guys that and it just was like it was like okay this is you know there's something there so I just started I just walked in one day and this guy he started training you know helping me learn it was it was only like 15 bucks a month or something Mm -hmm. so I just went in there and started learning and you know sparred for the first time Actually, yeah, I fought this. <laughs> I got, I got mixed in my first time sparring. I was like, hey, <laughs> I was like, let me. When can I spar? I was like, come on, when can I spar? And he, he kept trying to get me to learn my jab, because you know, like my jab. I guess some people say I have a good jab, but he wouldn't let me spar for. He was like, no, you got to learn that jab. And I was like, okay. So then he put me in there because I kept asking. And then <laughs> this big dude was like 215 pounds and. Yeah, he got me. Like <laughs> that was that was my first first taste. <laughs> and uh So yeah, what made you come back? Cuz I had the same kind of experience yeah. too with sparring where uh, I got into it and I was like, "Oh, wow, this is serious stuff." But what made you come back, you know? Cuz it's it's a hard path. I mean, training is difficult. Uh sparring and uh, like fighting amateur is like it's frankly pretty terrifying on a primal level cuz even though you kind of know, like we have gloves and the fight will be stopped, like your animal brain is like, this is life and death. Cause that's like what it feels like in a sense, even though it's not. So what made you come back after, you know, the first hurt? Well, something like it, it kind of lit a fire for me. I remember that night afterwards, I was like running sprints cause I gassed out real hard. Like training. (laughs) <laughs> You're like, I will train harder. I will never be will defeated, never defeated again. <laughs> yeah, I was for a minute because I was like, that fool got me because I gassed out even though I really was, he was just mixing me. But I, uh, in my body, I felt like I gassed out. So I was like, I got it. I don't want to let that happen again. But man, I, I honestly, it was like, I didn't go back right away. It took a while, but I eventually made it back because it was just there's something inside me that I knew I needed to evolve and grow. Um, It's and like you asked me the question about what is martial arts. I think that one of the things I've learned about like how I define martial arts is like it's a vehicle for realizing the human potential, Mm -hmm. you know, like in all aspects of life. So if you if I'm able to train in this one martial art, you know, this one thing, it actually like it uh, improves. I just improve with the rest of my life as well because I'm because I'm accessing parts of myself and um, just uh, developing and evolving. So Mm -hmm. there was just something that I knew, like, so I'm nine years sober, so I on one level, I literally just needed a different outlet because I didn't want to go back to where I, where I was at before. I was in a really, really dark place. And so I, 
I just knew I couldn't go back there. So I needed some type of outlet. And I just knew I needed to get better as a human being and as a man. Like, just develop that part, certain parts about myself. It was just something I just knew I needed to do that. There is that spiritual component to martial arts for people that are uh, naturally open to it. Um, And it's much more than, you know, just like violence. In fact, it's not really violent when you're training because it's like you're, you're helping each other get stronger and things. If you're, if you're doing sparring correctly, Mm -hmm. Um, it's also something that really, especially when you're doing like contact martial arts, like we do Muay Thai, which is uh, Thai kickboxing. Um, It has such a present momentness to it because I remember like in training and in sparring, like you don't think about anything. Like you just think about what's right in front of you. It's so intense that you can't like, you know, you might be going about your day, maybe driving your car and you think about like what you're going to have for lunch and stuff. But like, there's no way you're going to think about what you're going to have for lunch in the middle of sparring. Like your mind is like completely blank. And I think that that's part of the therapeutic aspect of it is uh, bringing people, you know, back into their bodies uh, learning how to express the body. What you said reminds me a lot of uh, how Bruce Lee defined martial arts, which is like this pure expression of the body um, in a in a true and authentic way. And I think that's really on point because martial arts is really authentic. You can't fake it. There's nothing mm-hmm. to fake. If you're in sparring, like you can have the flashy moves and stuff, but you're just going to get, as you said, mixed up. And it's not going to, you know, you're going to know that you fall short. And that's, it could be kind of uh, painful like that because it kind of shows you the truth. It shows you how you've been training. Has your training been working? Are you thinking about it the right way? Like you can think whatever you want. And that's uh, when you get into sparring, you will be shown what the truth is because the truth in martial arts is in a sense, who is victorious, right? That's what everything comes down to. Uh, And there's a lot of traditional martial arts like karate and other practices that sometimes when they don't have a focus on the sparring aspect, they can just become like completely ridiculous where you like practitioners will think that they have some kind of chi energy to take down opponents. Cause they've never actually sparred someone. And then you see those videos on YouTube of like, you know, Tai Chi master faces like amateur MMA fighter. And they just like get so the Tai Chi master gets so demolished because like they had these beliefs that, oh, I have like some special power and my students like think I do too. So they actually began to believe that, you know, they had some energy in their hands that they can use that it's so dangerous that they can't even really use it because it might kill someone. And then they just get destroyed. And it, going back to our previous point, it kind of shows you that lack of knowledge and how you can become so convinced that you're right when everyone's kind of saying the same thing and agreeing with you that you might just completely be so wrong and on such a wrong path that only something like sparring or the real world will show you like how you're uh, everything you believed was wrong in a sense, which is, which is rough. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That makes me think of this idea that you can have beliefs that are true for you, but they may not be true for other people. (laughs) So it's like, your reality might be a certain way and that's really someone's reality. Like it literally can be that way, but is, it's a different thing if it's effective for other people, you know? 
Like those are two different things. I mean, I think the example I heard was like the, this the idea of the law of attraction. Um, and there's something like you can literally like believe certain things to the point where it actually is true for you. But then, you know, is it, it's different when it's true for like <laughs> large numbers of people. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Being what effective. could be said like in the real world. And right, right. Um, that same idea applies to uh, healing. So, you know, I followed the path of naturopathic medicine and I see a lot of uh, parallels between uh, medicine, healing and martial arts. And one of them is that, that sparring aspect where it's, it doesn't really matter what you believe. You can believe whatever you want, but what actually works? Because like, if, if you give this or that to someone like an herb and it doesn't help their symptoms, it doesn't matter what your theory is, it's wrong. But if it works, it's right. So you can't lie in a sense. Um, although there is, of course, a lot of um, mental, emotional, spiritual factors in healing where, you know, you give somebody a placebo or like an inert substance and actually they heal. I think that has more to do with the uh, the connection between the mind and body and how you can kind of spark a healing response if you really believe in it. Um, but in terms of things outside of that effect, uh you know, like what is true based on the results, right? So yeah. even coming back to the politics and everything, maybe we can view it in that way. It's like, you can believe whatever you want, but what happens when you actually apply those politics? What happens? And that's like what we should be focusing on is like what actually happens, not like what we think should happen or could happen. So I, I think of just truth in general as that. It's, truth is Truth is that which is. You know, it's not, it doesn't matter what you believe. You may either be in accord with it or not. And there's certain ways to test the truth. Uh, in medicine, it's, you know, giving a medicine and working. That's truth. If in martial arts, it's, you know, sparring or fighting effectively, then it's true. You might have like a weird fighting style, but if it works, it's true. Uh, and there's, there's always a, a lot of individuality that can go into it. So it, it leaves room for there being more than one path to the truth, but, uh, mm -hmm you have to kind of test it in a sense. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that makes me think of um, a recent experience. I won't get into the details of it, but I basically ha am learning a certain traditional way that has to do with healing and ceremony. And I was asked to step up and do a certain role in this and through this experience, I learned that when I was in that role, it's not about me at all. It's about service of the others, you know? And so when I think about this idea of being effective, part of it is like, it's not up to me to decide when. Uh, it's not like I, I want it to be effective, so it's going to be because like for my own whatever ego or uh, you know whatever it may be but it's more like is it serving those people am, am I in service you know what I'm saying and I feel like that's kind of a distinction when we talk about these people like uh, Elon Musk for example I don't mean to like hate on him but we were talking before that we started the podcast about him and this idea of he's like, oh, hey, I'm, I'm making this 
technology, you know, brain implant technology or whatever, because if I don't, then someone else who's really evil might do it. But it's like, yo, um, you know, and I'm not here to judge what he's doing because ultimately it's all through creation. But anyways, the point is like we put our intention into, we can only put our intention into that you know what I'm saying, what we believe and what we are putting the intention into. That's what we will manifest. So I think that, you know, like some Elon Musk, I don't know, is he doing it for the service of humanity or is he, you know, doing it for, you know, something else? Mm-hmm. It's not up to me to judge, but that's there's a certain distinction there where we, you know what I'm saying, like if we, some, if we want someone to be healed, I think that there's a service aspect in that where, it's not even up to me. Like, if I'm like, oh, if I heal this person, it's going to make me look like the greatest fucking doctor. Well, then that's not in service. You know, right. that, for ego. You bring up a really good point in all the all those fears that sometimes the intention and the results aren't in line. So even when somebody intends something good, it might not happen in the way that they intended. And that's really an explanation for a lot of things going wrong because people, when they disagree with someone, they'll like attack their character, even though, even though maybe that person's ideas were from good intentions, maybe they had bad results, but they don't attack the bad results. They attack the intentions. Uh, And that's where a lot of it gets mixed up. And I think a lot of people don't see eye to eye in the sphere of healing that service aspect totally makes sense. So Paracelsus, um, a Swiss alchemist from medieval times, a, a great physician, he said that, uh, that nature is the physician, that a healer doesn't actually heal somebody. A healer uh, inspires, guides, leads a person to healing, but they don't actually heal them themselves. And if they think that they're healing them, then they're completely missing because there's only so much you can do to influence the process, right? And this is true about beliefs. You can't like force somebody to heal. You can't force somebody to believe something um, without there being consequences to that. The most we can do is, you know, have good intentions, do what we can, but we also can't expect that, you know, our healing will work. Maybe the person's not ready for it. And we can't expect that our our beliefs and our truths are going to be expressed in a way that makes sense to other people. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try, you know, because sometimes it does go through. Sometimes it does heal. Sometimes somebody's opinion is changed and they think of things in a different way. So if only one person has changed, I guess it's worth it in the end. Right. Yeah. And to, and that reminds me that like the essence of what I'm doing as an artist, Mm -hmm. the whole point is that I, if the music connects with people, I'll probably never meet them. You know what I'm saying? Like I'll never even know. And, that's the whole point of like whatever I do here with this gift that has been given to me to deliver is like maybe it will have a life of its own. And, you know, who knows? It's not up to me to try to measure that, you know, especially not by measuring it by whatever compared to industry, successful artists and likes and these type of units of measurement that a lot of people using are using. Um, you know, for for me, it's I need to remind myself that, you know, I do the best I can, like you said, and the, you know, who it connects with is there's a there's an element of trusting that the universe 
that it will reach who it's meant to reach. <laughs> what would you say is the the influence that you were kind of aiming for with this album? What did you want somebody who listened to it to, what did you want to give them as a gift in a sense? If you could like give some explanation of that, like what would be the ideal? Uh, yeah. Well, it reminds me of years ago, at least 10 years ago, I was still involved in drugs and drug selling and in a messed up place. And I remember I was sitting in my apartment and this vision came to me. It was like, you're going to make an album about, it was like, at that time, how I defined it was like, it's about, it's kind of like really inspired by The Matrix, you know, the movie The Matrix. And it like teaches people to be like warriors, like spiritual warriors. And at that time, I was just like, whoa. I was like, oh, that's a, I'm going to do that or something. And I didn't even know. At the time, I wasn't even involved in any of this type of stuff that we're talking about. I was involved in drugs and all this other crazy stuff and partying. But I, at the same time, I was just starting to tap into shamanism, like learning about shamanism. I think it was like soon after that that I read a book that kind of like started to change my whole path a little bit. Um, I mean, it was a number of things, but this book in particular uh, was a part of that. So I didn't... What book didn't, was it? It was a book called uh, 2012. It's, it's like 2012 from a shaman's perspective. Mm. Uh, I think there's another... Yeah, Global Transformation. Something about global transformation from a shaman's perspective. And, uh, and James Endredy is his name. I'm surprised I remember that. James Endredy, good book. And, and it was like talking about a lot of stuff that, I, that was totally new to me at the time, but also like awaken something. You know, they say like you remember, like mm -hmm. it helped me to start to remember things that I knew, but I, <laughs> you know, wasn't, you know, through my whole childhood and upbringing, there was none of that present. So I didn't have any teachers in that way. But then it started to like activate uh, a remembrance. Yeah, there's, you know, works of art that were made by people who were seeking truth or seeking meaning in their lives. And they tried to condense all of that into like a work of art, whether it was music or a book that if you're receptive and you read it, it can actually have really beneficial uh uh, impact on the way you view everything. I know uh, a lot of Herman Hesse's books were like that for me. He mm -hmm. was very influenced by Carl Jung. So he has a book, uh, Damien, he has Siddhartha, a lot of other great books. And then a lot of the spiritual teachers like Eckhart Tolle and those kind of traditions. I, during that time, I like disconnected from TV and I just would read all these things. And I wasn't like forcing myself to read it. I was just following my natural interest. You know, I wasn't like, I'm going to read this book to be more spiritual. I was just like, this is really interesting stuff. Like I never thought about it like that. And that path kind of, you know, led me to where I am now and will continue to lead me uh, wherever I go. But I think relating it to everything else we said is sometimes it might just be best to just disconnect from it all and just like read a classic and see, you know, what 
humans who are just like us thought about the world and and see that you know our problems are pretty pretty small when we when we actually you know look at that instead of you know focusing on what people on the news tell us to believe like read the greatest philosophers of all time with their views on the universe and just be mind blown and uh that would be my recommendation <laughs> yeah or or go have a conversation with a tree right exactly and enjoy it you might uh you might be benefited by uh some psychedelic medicine uh for that will definitely give you a different experience I, one of my friends actually yeah. one of the most pivotal experiences he had on psilocybin he had this he was like he did it with a group of friends it was his first time doing it and he said that he was kind of like out in a field and the classic like he was like frolicking around with his friends like playing with sticks the typical stuff that happens on psilocybin in nature and he felt this pull to like disconnect from the group and go up to this tree and put his hand on it and he said when he put his hand on it he was hit with like such an intense like vision and revelation that it literally scared him to almost near to death like he had some kind of experience of like oneness or unity when he when he put his hand on the tree literally had to like lay down because he was so like startled by how intense it was and you know mm -hmm. that's the world that we don't we have a lot of senses that I think that we don't uh, train and we don't uh, regard as high senses like intuition and, and these kind of perceptions. Um, sometimes we just need to quiet down to be able to hear things like that. And yeah, talk to a tree. Mm. Maybe it has something good to say. Yeah. Or maybe sure. someone will just think you're crazy. <laughs> and well, put you in the loony bin. Yeah. That's, that's none of it. That's none of your business. Yeah. People think you're crazy. It's not your business. Yeah. That's. But yeah, I remind. I need to remind myself to go spend more time in nature because, yeah, I don't even need psilocybin, but uh, you know that's that's a whole nother level to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, um, thank you so much, Quincy. I've uh, appreciated this conversation as always. We touched on a lot of a lot of topics today, um, and I hope people got something beneficial or at least uh, sparked a thought or belief to do your own research. I think that would be awesome. So definitely check out his album; it's awesome. Highly recommend it if you're into conscious rap. Uh, what is a place where people can get this album? And I'll I'll put a link on it as well yeah. in this video. Yeah, yeah, it's on all platforms. Um... Spotify, Apple Music, and it's called Rebel Wise. And then uh, artist Neo Vecchi, Mike Crenshaw. So, yeah, you should be able to find it. Yeah, yeah. Rebel Wise. Where does that uh, name come from? Man, we just kind of came up with it. Like, I was trying to, um, man, what, where did it come from? It's like, we were trying to figure out the right combination of words and uh, it's just kind of represents like, okay, so yeah, we can be a rebel. Like you can be a rebel and react or like try to fight the, um, the, the yeah, uh, the powers that be, the power structure, but like John Trudell. So he was a major influence for me. John Trudell, he talks about like, you can't, you can't fight them with the the weapons. Or no, he's like, 
they invented that kind of death. Mm-hmm. So you can't, yeah, it's like you don't want to fight them at their game, right? So we understand that being rebellious is an aspect of this in terms of standing up for what I believe in, you know what I'm saying? But then we approach it with the wise element is like there's, there's an element of awareness that I'm not just going to like create I'm not just going to, you know, get a bunch of guns and try to fight because that'll just create more of if the energy cannot be killed, you know what I'm saying? This this type of dark this type of energy cannot be killed. It can only be transformed. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I say ceremony is the solution, you know? And our bodies our bodies are the transformational vehicles. You know what I'm saying? Like Gandhi said, change your you be the change you wish to see in the world. That's the real solution, you know, like we're, we're here in this experience, spiritual beings having a physical experience. And this vehicle, this body is the transformation point within us that actually causes ripple effects. That's very, um, basically the, the most unselfish thing in the world you can do is heal yourself. Mm-hmm. That's what one elder said to me. And that causes ripples. And that basically, you know, I know I'm saying a lot here to wrap it up, but healing our ancestral trauma, our family lineage, to me, that's priority number one. You know, not passing that on to, I, I hope to have children one day, you know, and not passing that on to them, you know. So true, man. Uh you know, violence just breeds more violence. It's the energy you put in is kind of what returns. Uh, and I, I like that idea of kind of rebelling against untruth, but in a wise way. Uh, I think that's that's really important. And um, healing yourself definitely is the most rebellious thing you could possibly do. Because you kind of have to like disconnect from every belief that you've ever known. Because uh, a lot of times the, the beliefs that you hold deeply are like the reason for the continued uh, trauma and the state of unwellness and to challenge those you have to really challenge the whole society and culture that you're within because obviously that culture and society upholds a lot of these beliefs that we have about ourselves or who we are what our purpose is what our worth is etc mm. that's that's dope and reminds me of this thing that i thought about it's like a society that tries to control people out of fear you know like fear-based programming type of stuff the most revolutionary or rebellious thing you can do is operate out of love Mm -hmm. you know it's like fear and love so it's like the real the real warrior the real revolutionary operates out of love that that's deep you know that's right that's that uh that warrior archetype i think in its highest uh ideal on its base level, it just has to do with like fighting and war and being strong and, and these kind of things. But in its highest ideal, it it is in service of love. So that's where you get this kind of um, what what the Tibetan Buddhists would call like the wrathful deities. It's related to that Vajra thing from the beginning, the Vajra lightning bolt. So the wrathful deities are preyed upon when you're afraid, actually. So they say the, the best way to counter fear is praying to the wrathful deities. And the wrathful deities aren't evil. They're just very powerful and they destroy everything that is untrue. So th- those are what the things you call upon when, when you want to 
get out of fear. And I think that speaks to the positive elements of the warrior element is, you know, not being like against people, but like standing your ground when it comes to the, to the truth and what you believe and uh, trying to protect people and help people, but like not in necessarily even a soft way. Like sometimes people need tough love. Sometimes you need to tell your friend, like, listen, man, you're messing up. Like sometimes you have to do that and it's uncomfortable, but that's like that positive warrior energy that I think is when at its highest ideal, when it's infused with love and in service of love, that's when you get like this kind of spiritual warriorhood, which uh, I think applies to all humans. It's just about being a really just good person at the end of the day Uh, and not just being good out of weakness, right? There's that idea of being good out of strength. Like you can harm someone you do have the power over someone but you choose to do the good and right loving thing uh, rather than just being good because you're afraid of consequences which is goodness out of weakness which is a very different uh it's not really goodness it's false right right yeah and a lot of us we we're dealing with it makes me think of like our family situations the dynamics at play a lot of times there's just cycles that are repeating because we're we've just we have these adaptations of like say of someone's mother or father and like what they they're afraid of what they think of them you know the 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 son or daughter is like afraid of how they will react will react and they've but basically by continuing by not being like standing up for yourself or or being true to oneself and allowing these patterns to continue because we're, we want to be nice or whatever. It's like these niceties. That is not out of love. Like sometimes setting a boundary, that's out of love. And being like, no, this, this is not going to continue. This dynamic that is causing suffering, it's not going to continue. It stops here. Having that conviction, that can be loving. You know what I mean? And I've, for me, that's, that's been important, setting boundaries. Like, that's been a part of my healing journey that I wasn't always doing, you know, like, and I needed to learn how to do that. I think martial arts is particularly good for teaching those kinds of mental fortitudes. It gives you kind of the, the mental strength to, because uh, a lot of the times when we do, you know, try to speak our truth, we might actually get into confrontation over it. Uh to sometimes share what you believe, to share how you feel, to tell someone like to not do what they're doing because it's harming you. It brings up confrontation and that's a really uncomfortable energy uh, Mm -hmm. to deal with if you're kind of not used to it. But without confronting it, you'll always be stuck in the same state. It's like the partner who's in an abusive relationship, a lot of the reason, uh, there's a lot of reasons why the abuse happens. Obviously there's trauma cycles in both of the people that recreate, but it, it is partially um, the person who's being abused. It's because they don't say no. It's because they don't leave the relationship. And that's not like blaming them, but it's saying that we're not like victims to life. We are, you know, we are responsible for our lives. And that's both uh, hard to accept, but it's incredibly empowering to know that you're responsible for your life. And that if situation's not good for you in whatever way in your relationship, in your life, 
accepting fault for it is the most healing thing you can do because then you can start to change things. But if you blame everything else, like this is bad because of this and because of that and because that's what that person said and because society, uh, we give away our power in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. And I think of it as accepting responsibility, you know, responsibility, the ability to respond, see it for what it is without judgment and respond. You know, and the sad thing, you know, I, I don't know if it's sad, but the thing that happens for a lot of us is we prefer the suffering that we know rather than the fear of the unknown, you know, because we're used to it. And so we'll continue because we can control it, you know, like we're, we're used to it rather than stepping into the unknown, which is the mystery and to me, that's like the wise people of the world are able to operate right on the edge of, you know, in the present moment and be, being able to feel all the feelings and be tuned in to the different levels of uh, consciousness. And there's, there's a challenge to that because you're open to a lot of your, you know, you may be open, but, you know, the uh, because you're sensitive, like a lot of us, we don't want to feel these things because we're numbed out, you know, and uh, we, we have these ways of protecting ourselves from being hurt because we're so hurt. Well, it's like the, the wounds are open, you know what I'm saying? They haven't been healed. So a lot of us are walking around like that. And uh, but there is the healing journey that, all you know, it's personal for everyone. And I, part of it for me personally has been taking that step, you know, and in a way where I don't know what it is and there's a courage involved, like maybe courage is, the num- is, is a necessity, pretty much it is, it's a necessity. And then I don't, I don't know where it's leading, but my something inside of me says, this is the way and I, I need to honor that, you know, and that's, that's within everyone. There's this uh, beautiful quote. I think it, it's from Rumi. And there's this long poem, but it ends on this just such a deep line. It says, um, it's making me emotionally thinking about it. It says, I know you're tired, but come, this is the way. And that's how the poem ends. So I think that that we'll just we'll just leave it there. So Quincy Davis, Neo Vecchi, get his album to be rebel wise. And fight the system wisely um and subscribe to this podcast if you like it herbal hour we're on spotify we're on youtube we're on apple podcasts all the places thank you guys for tuning in thank you quincy thank you man okay bet cool